everyone and welcome to the Sunny Go One Piece podcast. On this episode, we're going to be diving into episodes 450 through 452, which will cover manga chapters 547 through 546. And yeah, now we're getting into the action-packed and emotional finale of the Impel Down arc. So, synopsis. Almost everyone has made it topside and finally on the cusp of being free from Impel Down, but they still have a few things they need to get over. And that is to secure a ship, as well as get away from Magellan, who is terrifyingly pursuing them. But most of all, they need to figure out a way to open the gates of justice, just as they did in the NES lobby arc. But how are they going to do it this time? Alright, so differences. There are actually very few differences in these episodes. I think the first one is the the tease of Ivankov reviving himself was actually added in the anime. We only get a very small panel of any hint that Ivankov is coming back, where we see Ivankov kind of standing where Inazuma was defeated, and he's got Inazuma in his hands. But in the anime, we actually get to see Ivankov stab themselves with the hormones and reviving, but this was never actually in the manga. The other difference that was added was the fact that the fight between Luffy and Magellan when they are facing off against each other, that has a few more scenes added. It's not by that much. It's only probably about like 15 to 30 seconds more worth of footage, but there is some different uh, action scenes added in just to kind of extend that fight. But that's really it. Aside from that, these chapters were very faithfully adapted. Okay, so let's get into the episodes, but one thing I wanted to correct myself from the last podcast episode, because I got curious and I went back and reread the whole Blackbeard and Luffy interaction all the way back in Jaya regarding the Haki comment he made, and I can't believe I completely forgot that Blackbeard actually does mention Luffy's Haki all the way in Jaya. It just never registered very much in my head because like I've mentioned in the past, when reading and watching in Japanese especially... Those early episodes before Haki was an actual thing, to me the word Haki was just a normal word referring to one's willpower or spirit. And so to my surprise, Blackbeard towards the end of Jaya after Luffy beats down Bellamy, when Blackbeard sees Luffy's like new 100 million uh, berry bounty poster, he remarks, I thought 30 million was a little low for that Haki, but this much? So in fact, it was already established that Luffy had his Haki there. But we just didn't know exactly what Blackbeard meant. And yeah, I guess I always forget that since... Again, I just keep forgetting that Haki in this context is actually referring to something more established in One Piece than just sort of the overall general catch-all of willpower. I am a little embarrassed that I can... I think I completely missed this yet again when I was actually talking about episode 151 in this very podcast. And... Yeah, I will say, though, even the translations sometimes completely overlook this fact as well. So in all fairness to me, it's, it wasn't all that clear. So in the both the official English translation of the manga and anime, they don't actually refer to it as Haki. And again, at that point, it, it was still viewed as just a regular word. So in the manga, after looking it up, uh, the English version translates the line as he didn't look like he was even worth 30 million berries. But this much, and it doesn't even it doesn't even mention spirit or willpower at all. 
While the Funimation slash Country Roll subs refer to it as Ambitious Spirit, with the line reading, In terms of Ambitious Spirit, I didn't think he was even worth 30 million berries. And so, yeah, it, it it's a very easy thing to overlook, but Blackbeard does in fact mention Luffy's Haki all the way back in Jaya. And so this comment that was said in the last uh, set of episodes does actually make sense, and it doesn't really come out of nowhere. Anywho, with that out of the way, let's get into this week's episodes. Right off the bat, before we return to the action, the episode teases us with Ivankov's revival as they get their hormone spikes ready, and I for one didn't for a second believe that <laughs> that was the end for Ivankov, so this makes perfect sense. Even though Luffy is now able to get good hits in on Magellan, this fight shows that Magellan himself, just even beyond his fruit powers, is, is a physical powerhouse as he's just tanking Luffy's wax enhanced attacks and it's barely phasing him. I don't think this has crossed my mind until this rewatch, but Magellan is most likely using the same type of defensive hockey that Marigold and Rayleigh were using that allowed them to absorb and deflect devil fruit attacks and I might talk more about this in the spoiler section. So then Magellan decides to really get serious as he's got yet another gear up his sleeve by revealing he's got a technique that he's banned because of how dangerous it is. And it's it's some form of a viral crimson colored poison that spreads on its own to anything it touches, making defense near impossible as the wax even starts to get consumed by it as well. Then we get to see the incredibly cool sight of Crocodile and Das Bonus just obliterate the marines on the battleship and again there is just something insanely cool and hype about seeing these once insanely threatening villains now fighting on your side it, it it gives me some of that same feeling of when piccolo joins goku to fight raditz or when vegeta joins to fight frieza in dragon ball both really cool moments and i mean there are plenty of uh, examples of the former villains joining the heroes in in anime across all genres, but yeah. And with Magellan hot on everyone's tail as they're all trapped, Ivankov miraculously and just wildly explodes from the ground with a giant deathwing shot at the ground. And their head is also massive, which makes this scene and panel hilarious, especially with their crazy facial expression. And also note here at the 17 minute 45 second mark in the Crunchyroll stream, you can see a Panda Man sighting right behind Bonkre, who's freaking out at the sight of this as well. And with no way out, they're trapped, but Jinbei has got a plan and tells them all to jump in the water, which sounds insane to everyone since they're in the calm belt with waters infested with killer sea monsters and sea kings, as well as a death sentence for the devil fruit users. But I absolutely love that Luffy already trusts Jinbei with his life enough, and I can't reiterate this enough that I love how Oda is slowly developing that friendship between the two of them. Also, shoutouts to Toei for upping their animation budget for the whole big set piece scene where Luffy busts out the candle wall uh, gigant stomp. This whole sequence is animated to a, a, like another step above what they're usually capable of with advanced shading and lighting and way more fluid animation. It looks awesome. And it's too bad the animation quality can't look this good all the time. But I will say, though, on the whole, I actually do think the animation quality of Impel Down has actually been pretty good for the most part. I really haven't found a moment where I thought to myself, this looks like ass. But yeah, this this scene definitely stepped it up even uh, 
up a slight more notch than it's normally capable of. Another moment here is obviously the return of Chibi Luffy and <laughs> Chibi Luffy screaming at Ivan Cup to get up and when when they do get up, <laughs> they think that <laughs> he's Luffy's son and <laughs> The absurdity of this scene is just not lost on me. The stark difference in tone is just insane. Like, on one hand, you have the, the tense and grim side with Magellan closing in on them like a horror villain, while you have a bunch of people climbing onto a knocked-out person's giant purple afro. <laughs> it's just... I don't know. I think One Piece is one of the few things where you can actually get the, the, both of those elements to, to work in the same scene and have have the, the camera cut between both of them. And they're all then saved by these massive whale sharks. And not, not fish people whale sharks like Jinbei, but actual whale sharks. And these guys are so stinking cute with their like innocent smiles and happy look. Like Jinbei is basically acting like Aquaman here as he can talk to the sea life. And seemingly almost telepathically, like, we know that fishermen can talk to sea life as we've seen Arlong and Hachi talk to Momu, but that I always just figured it understood their speaking. But here, Jinbei is actually speaking not through his voice, but, well, I mean, he is speaking, but it seems like he's also talking telepathically because you see those waves coming out as he speaks. And the fact that the whale sharks are nowhere around, he's commuting, he must be communicating with them telepathically. And this then begs the question. Can all fishmen do this? And unfortunately, at this juncture, we don't really know. However, in the next episode, we do get a short conversation between Jinbei and Crocodile that perhaps this ability is kind of rare for fishmen normally, and that it's mostly been reserved for the mer people, which we did see Kami having that ability earlier as she called those fish to kind of point them in the direction of Sabodi. But yeah, as Jinbei says, is it really all that weird for fishmen to talk to fish and make friends with them? I don't think so. They all then get transported safely to the stolen battleship with Magellan looking on helplessly and in disbelief at what he just witnessed. And seriously though, the two people who are hitching a ride inside Ivan Cobb's nose here is so gross. I don't even know what would possess them to do that. But I guess if your life's on the line, you would take that over staying behind and having to face the wrath of Magellan. It's actually really sweet though when you see Buggy and Luffy with their arms around each other celebrating. This kind of reminds me of something that we learn uh, that we learn much, much later on, but I can't really talk about it due to spoilers. But however, it's not all rainbows and sunshines just yet as they have one very real obstacle that they somehow need to get past, and that is the ever-looming Gates of Justice. So the last time Sanji snuck into the control room and got the gates to open just in time, but this time... They don't have a Sanji, or do they? <laughs> so when Buggy confronts Jinbei about what they're going to do about the gates and how he can be so calm at a time like this, but you can tell by looking into his face and his silence speaks loudly here that someone must have stayed behind to get the gate open, but who? And if you're an eagle-eyed viewer and you have been paying attention, you've already realized who's missing. And miraculously, the gates do begin to open to everyone's shock. We then cut to Magellan on the dock. Then we cut to another Magellan in the control room. And if it's not clear by now, it dawns on you that Bonkre used his Manemane powers to impersonate Magellan. And freaking Bonkre, man. He sacrificed himself 
yet again to save Luffy and everyone. Like, Bunkrai is easily the MVP of this arc. Like, his dedication to the cause and to Luffy is unparalleled. This moment hits you so hard, especially when it cuts back to Luffy's pained reaction. And I'll be honest, to this day, aside from just pure friendship, I don't know why Bunkrai is so selfless, especially when it comes to helping Luffy. Like, although it's never explicitly stated by him or anyone, I always wondered if it's maybe his way of atoning for the terrible things he did with Baroque Works or even his life as a pirate even before he joined them. Like, when you think about what must be going through this band's mind, it's quite inspiring yet heartbreaking. Like, after meeting Luffy, he not only went away for from a life of villainy, but actively is trying to atone for those mistakes, it seems like. And you know this is a huge sacrifice when you have even the likes of Buggy and Galdino distraught and emotional over this. Especially seeing Galdino just emotionally screaming out, Mr. Two, really felt significant. Like, these two did not really get along particularly well, from at least from Galdino's perspective. And I think Boncre has all but let things go from their past, but it's still a very difficult thing. But we do see Galdino later reflecting on, on Boncre and thinking that you know, in the end, he wasn't actually that bad of a guy. And I really like this multi-layered perspective for both Mr. Two, Galdino, and then, yeah, to a lesser extent, Buggy as well. Like, Oda is incredibly good at fleshing out his even, like, fourth-layer characters. I don't even know what you call a Not secondary, not tertiary, but quad quadary? I don't know. Uh, but yeah, you have all these side characters that get an insane amount of development, which is really fun to see. Then we get an incredibly tear-jerking moment when Luffy yells into the Dendemushi screaming, Thank you! And which finally gets Bonkure to speak and tell him that of anyone, he's the one that can save his brother, encouraging him on to make that last push. And Oda has gotten us yet again with his amazing storytelling and character growth. Like, the whole freaking arc, he's built up this relationship with Bonkre, getting us to fall in love with him even more so if we haven't already. Though, you know, like, most of us were already in love with this character, but at this moment, he's elevated to legend status. Like, his final moments are him epically preparing to fight Magellan, even though we know he stands no chance, he still goes out like a boss. And unfortunately, we don't know what becomes of Bonkre. But I seriously thought to myself, Bonkre was dead. Um, but again, knowing Oda's reluctance to kill off characters in the present, he's probably not dead. But either this was one of you know the most heroic and epic ways to go down if he did die. And yeah, this cements Bonkre's place in the hearts of fans forever. At least for me, it did. And I mean, he was already an amazing character to begin with. But even before Impel Down, but here he just jumps to another level. Now, of course, I'll go into Bonkre a little bit more in the spoiler section uh, about what, you know, where the future of this character lies. Now, at the end of 451, we also get a tease of Blackbeard getting back up because we know he's not going away. But I was not expecting the twist of fate that began in episode 452 where we see Shiryu give them the antidote, which I guess in hindsight I probably should have seen this coming, that he'd team up with him. But like I've said many times in the past, I'm not very good at theorycrafting or future predicting like future story elements or just 
plain predicting things at all. But this one was so obvious, I'm kind of embarrassed that I didn't put two and two together at the time. Now, Oda actually does some pretty clever character work here, and there's something scary that's revealed about Blackbeard and his crew's personality or philosophy, I guess you can say, and that's the fact that none of them seem to fear death at all. And that is the kind of adversary that you do not want to be on the other side of because they will do whatever it takes and act unpredictably. And we know this because basically Luffy is the same way. He doesn't fear death. At least we haven't seen him fear death, which makes it very, very troublesome to fight against. But can you imagine Luffy, but an evil version of him? And that's basically Blackbeard and his crew. Now back on the ship, we get a quiet moment to slightly wind down from the chaos of Impel Down, and we get this really interesting moment where Jinbei finally properly introduces himself to Luffy while thanking him for giving him a chance to help Whitebeard and save Ace. But clearly, the havoc that Arlong waged in the East Blue is weighing on his mind, and he knows he has Luffy to thank, but also needs to apologize for that as well. This is a moment that's been in the back of our minds this whole time is the connection between Arlong and Jinbei. Jinbei wants to thank and apologize to Luffy for helping clean up his mess, but he decides against bringing it up here because obviously they have more pressing matters, but I also think that Jinbei is feeling a little anxious about revealing something like this considering that they've built up this sort of friendship and now if he decides to reveal that he was the reason for Arlong, he might not take to him as kindly anymore. But honestly though, while it would be curious to see Luffy's reaction, I mean, you kind of can figure out that Luffy is going to like forgive him, basically. But it will be infinitely more impactful to see if Jinbei will ever meet Nami and see her reaction to all this. But we'll have to wait and see if this will ever happen. Now something that is a little misleading here is that in the anime, it's not abundantly clear that Jinbei is thinking this in his head and not actually saying this out loud. However, due to the way Toei decided to frame this scene with Jinbei's head turned away, you can't see his mouth moving or not moving, so it's left a little ambiguous as to whether he's saying this out loud since they make no effort to do any other visual cues or auditory cues that would normally imply that it's in someone's head like darkening the surrounding like a vignette or changing the voice effect to adding like a slight reverb or increasing the volume. It's very strange why they, they it almost seems like it's a continuation of Jinbei just talking. So it sounds like he's actually saying this to Luffy and Luffy just kind of like doesn't even pay attention to it, um, which is the, the sense that you get by watching the anime. But in the manga, it is very clear that Jinbei is thinking this in, in his mind because you can see the way the bo- the it, it, his thoughts aren't in a thought uh, are in a speech bubble. And so it's it's very clear that this is in, in his mind. It's an inner monologue. And again, also on another side note, at the 12 minute 30 second mark, we have another Panda Man sighting near the back behind the three guys freaking out that they're all headed to Marine Fur. And we again see this panda man among the throes of inmates while Buggy is fantasizing about becoming a Yonko and the Pirate King at the 19 minute 50 minute or 19 minute 50 second mark of the very same episode. Uh, and the next scene is probably the crown jewel of him meltdown. I'm a little exaggerating, but in terms of the rise uh, of Buggy's legend and notoriety, th- this scene is like some sort of a crazy but impactful joke. I feel like. 
The Marines call the ship, and of course, Luffy picks it up as Luffy likes to do. But then we finally get the culmination of all the breadcrumbs of Buggy's story and legacy coming together as this Marine officer just dumps all this information on the rest of the characters. And this scene is both hilarious and chilling to see play out. Due to the sheer fact that Buggy is actually cut from a very special cloth. Buggy, of course, is freaking out because he himself is pretty weak, which is something even Desbonus just casually like throws shade at. But for Buggy, this means he's going to have an unnecessarily large target now on his back as it's revealed in one go that he was part of the Roger Pirates and the Yonko Shanks once considered him a brother. While Buggy is shitting his pants in a cold sweat before the call cuts off, Luffy makes one last bold statement that he's going to save Ace and tells them to wash their potatoes, which makes no sense to anyone. And it's just like Luffy to confidently threaten the Marines while sounding like a complete dumbass, but he says it with such confidence, too, but it's so funny. So the thing about this scene, um, in the translations, the other prisoners correct him and tell them it's watch your neck not wash your potatoes, which is actually a pretty decent attempt to carry this idiom over. I also like in the anime the nice touch of the various potatoes kind of rolling out of nowhere. But here's the the translator's note when it comes to this joke. So the actual context of this entire scene and joke is predicated on a um, very famous uh, idiom or phrase from Japanese language. Basically, in Japanese, there's a phrase called kubio arate matero, which is literally translates to wash your neck and wait. It basically means prepare to die. It, it's a way to threaten somebody. It's what you would say when you're when you're basically threatening someone that you're going to come after them or or actually kill them. And where that saying comes from is that in old Japan, beheadings were the preferred execution method, and it was important. It was an important practice to wash the person's neck before they get beheaded, which is where that phrase comes from. Now, this is obviously playing on the fact that Luffy frequently gets common Japanese things wrong. Like the famous one where he's actually done this twice was that he he actually just did it most recently in Amazon Lily. And then again, all the way back in Syrup Village of the Fundari Kettari Dana, which, you know, we've gone over literally means stepped on and kicked on, which he's mixing up with Itareri Tsukuseri, which is referring to when someone goes all out or, you know, there's nothing left to be desired. And so this is just another instance of Luffy completely botching a famous saying. Luffy then, for his part, he actually adds even more to Buggy's legend by mentioning his connection to Rayleigh. And this was actually a rare human moment for Buggy. And it actually put a smile on my face a bit because you can tell that he really cared about his old crew and is genuinely excited to hear that Rayleigh is doing well. And... Something about that, I don't know, it 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 kind of swayed my opinion of Buggy a little bit more towards maybe he's not such a bad guy, even though he's done some terrible things. But yeah, with all these huge names attached to Buggy, this basically riles all the escaped inmates up into basically idolizing Buggy and now willing to follow him into the depths of hell. And things start to take a turn for the violent as they're now willing to do anything, even take on Shichibukai and Luffy. But Buggy, being the ever-charismatic man he is, he somehow gets them all together to point them in a common goal of getting to Marineford to take down Whitebeard. And obviously, he's basically trying to use these folks as pawns so that he can take Whitebeard's spot as an emperor or a yonko. And yeah, Buggy, man, 
he has grown into such an interesting wild card of a character in the story at this point. Like what started out as Luffy's sort of first real antagonist and a weak one at that into sort of this strange anti-hero, although I don't even think you can call him a hero yet either, but he's no longer really a villain and even an, or you can't even really call him an antagonist neither. He's more like a rival to Luffy at this point because they both want to become the Pirate King, but you just don't know where his story is going because he, he just continues to have this sort of dumb luck on his side where he keeps failing upwards further and further and now he's got this massive following along with this sort of ballooning notoriety to absurd degrees and not to mention he's still got his main crew somewhere out there looking for him and so just adding them to this new massive following of like 200 plus inmates like the sheer manpower that buggy's crew now commands is huge as well so he's got the he's got sort of the 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 big fleet-wide sort of power even though he himself is not that strong not to mention the knowledge that he is considered a brother to shanks most you know most likely and you know more sort of un uninitiated people are not even going to try to mess with him for fear that the great yonko red-haired shanks might come to retaliate and i seriously could watch actually a series that follows buggy's adventures at this point and still be just as entertained i feel like like the, the crazy thing is buggy's goal is to also become the pirate king so it'll be interesting to see how that will eventually intersect because at this rate buggy isn't going anywhere and oda is increasing buggy's role ever larger the more the story goes on so it'll be very interesting to see how buggy is going to be at the end of the series or towards the climax like what is his role or what is his resolution I know some people are like secretly thinking that Buggy is the one that's actually going to find the One Piece and not Luffy. <laughs> and I honestly, at this point, I could kind of see it happening. However, there is one interesting bit that's kind of a, a slight, I don't want to say plot hole, but just unknown information at this point. Although I know the answer to this because obviously I've read ahead. But at this point in the story, you're wondering why Buggy, if if he was part of Roger's crew... Why doesn't Buggy already know how to get to the One Piece? Or why doesn't he know what the One Piece is? So that's a very interesting question, which won't get answered for a long time. But there is a, there is a proper answer for this. I will, I will promise you that. But yeah, with that, though, we're pretty much finished with Impel Down. And with a few episodes left till, till we begin the big one, the Paramount War at Marineford, this next arc is going to be huge and one that I have been waiting to talk about for a while, pretty much ever since I started this podcast. But before that, we have a few podcasts that I'll be doing as I'll be going on vacation. So I pre-recorded a few extra episodes. And so for the next couple podcasts, I'll be going over and reminiscing about some of my most uh, emotionally impactful moments in One Piece. And so when I return, I will also be going over the four remaining episodes that cover basically the 11th cover story, the Straw Hat uh, Separation Serial. So yeah, that's right. We finally get one more cover story that's actually animated from the manga, and this will cover what the other Straw Hat members have been up to during all this time. But anyways, if you did enjoy this, send me a like or comment, and if you want to join me on this journey of rewatching One Piece, please consider subscribing. Check out my Instagram and Twitter account at Podcast if you want updates on when I post new episodes or see some pictures of my manga collection. 
And as always, I wanted to thank you for taking the time to listen to my podcast. Uh, definitely a, quite a few things that I wanted to mention in the spoiler section for this episode. So stay tuned for that if you're interested. But if not, stay safe out there. And I hope to see you on the next episode. Bye. Alrighty, spoiler section. So yeah, just as always a reminder, most of this is pretty much unscripted me rambling. But yeah, I think the first thing I wanted to talk about was Jinbei. Um, yeah, obviously Jinbei, he... One, one, one interesting thing I noted about this is that Jinbei is taking the helm of the ship. And yeah, like, I don't... I mean, obviously it's not like an obvious foreshadow, but Jinbei is the helmsman of the Straw Hats now. And I like that he basically just takes that over right here, kind of showing that he is good at, at um, navigating a ship. And and we do eventually get that moment where Jinbei does actually get to apologize to both Luffy and Nami about what happened with Arlong. And that particular moment was actually really well handled. Obviously, I'm not going to go too much into detail right here because we'll talk more about it when we get to those episodes. But I am glad that it, it was at least shown that Jinbei felt guilty about all of that and he wanted to apologize. And I like the way that they do eventually go about handling that in the Fishman Island arc. Next, moving on to Bonkre. So Bonkre, man, it's still very much like covered in mystery as to what actually happened to Bonkre. But we do have some good news in that he does survive and so in the cover of chapter 666, we see that Boncre somehow managed to not only survive the encounter with Magellan, but escape again. And then now Boncre actually took over the role that Ivankov had as being the queen of New Kamaland in level 5.5 in Impel Down. And as far as I know, that's the only sort of hint that we've gotten when it comes to Boncre's whereabouts, and as far as I know, he's still there. Now, some people have wondered, like, w why is there another new Kamaland when everyone else escaped with Ivankov and Luffy? But the thing is, is like that. I'm pretty sure that those people that are in there now are new people. So other prisoners that have been brought in since Impel Down, particularly because this chapter actually takes place. Uh, post time skip. So there's been two years worth of new prisoners to come into Impel Down. And so we do see that Boncre is probably freeing these people and giving them safe haven into the new Newcomer Land. And then, yeah, like in the non-spoiler section, the main thing I wanted to talk about was Buggy and his place in the rest of the story. So the first thing I wanted to mention was Luffy and Buggy celebrating just kind of reminded me of Buggy and Shanks as kids. It's just it's hard to not see that sort of connection and it. I don't know. It felt really right to see that. And it, it felt it made me feel good to see that again, especially, you know, now that we've seen more of Shanks and Buggy's relationship in that in that learning the fact that they actually had a very good friendship, like they were brothers and it's kind of sad to see Buggy. I mean, Buggy's kind of an ass, and and 
at times a bad guy and so you can kind of see why they separated but it's become very interesting seeing buggy change especially with the most recent revelation that the reason why buggy is so pissed off at shanks is not because of any sort of resentment that we've seen in the past whether because he made him accidentally eat the barabaranomi or just overall they don't get along it's the fact that buggy did want to join shanks but shanks for some reason decided not to go after the one piece like roger would have wanted him to and then he felt really betrayed by that and so it's very it'll be very interesting to see again how buggy progresses but yeah, obviously it gets revealed why Buggy and Shanks don't know what the One Piece is or where it actually exactly is. And that's because they didn't join them. We see in the Odin flashback that Buggy gets sick right before their next their journey towards uh, Laftel. And Shanks offers to stay behind because Shanks, again, their their relationship is actually really good. And they wanted to stay together and so shanks offers to hang back and take care of buggy and so that's why neither of them know about the one piece or where it is and then it's interesting here with buggy and crocodile and you see crocodile kind of like looking at all this unfold and you don't really get a sense of what he's actually thinking but i just find it very interesting re-watching these episodes and re-reading these knowing what eventually happens with these two is that they will basically team up or more like Crocodile is just using Buggy to create the the cross guild and the fact that Buggy does actually, he doesn't kill Whitebeard, but Buggy does eventually t- become an emperor. And he, I mean, last we see him, he is declaring that he wants to seriously go after the One Piece. And... Yeah, like everything Buggy says here in these episodes will eventually like start to come to pass. Obviously, the One Piece part hasn't happened yet, but it it's kind of funny watching these episodes after having seen the whole cross guild situation with Crocodile, Mihawk, and Buggy, and how Buggy has that really passionate reawakening of his actual desires of not just you know, riches and fame and wealth, but he wants to go after the One Piece. Like, that's been his dream. And so, yeah, it's very interesting to see sort of the beginning of the snowball effect of Buggy sort of failing upwards as well as the reignition of Buggy's actual dream. He's such a a crazy character. Uh, I don't even know what to really make of him, to be honest, but he's damn fun to watch. And... Oda, because Buggy is one of his favorite characters, he gives him a lot of attention. But anyways, those are the kind of the main things I wanted to talk about in the spoiler section. So if you hung around that long, thank you. And uh, I'll uh, catch you on the next episode. See ya.